0: used to dine at other competitors' restaurants to see who's their cook and would ask them to come out to the table and undermine and underhandedly say, what's this guy paying you? You know, and and they would say, what's this guy paying you? And you say, hey man, he's paying me, you know, how's he treating you? You know, and back then, it was easy for an owner to buy his chef a car or uh, get him over an apartment or helping with his recreational activities. You know, uh, it was eats You know, I, I can remember I worked somewhere, and I won't name them, that every New Year's Eve, if we packed the house and got all the tables fed before midnight, there was a grand Coke on the bar, a uh, 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 envelope with $500, a bottle of Don or some Tattingers, and a pad on the back, saying, man, you guys rocked it out tonight. Congratulations. Happy New Year. You know, um, that's the kind of mentality that went on. You know, that's the stuff that Anthony Bourdain talks about in Kinsha Confidential that pissed the, our, our, our world off because he told the truth about the pressures that go on with us day by day. You know, and you're a rock star at work and you live in the projects and you go home on the L or something and, you know, you live in a real shitty world. And But at work, you're a hero, you're a legend, or you're a rock star at work, and you come from an abusive family, and at work, you're a you're god.
1: That's Executive Chef
0: and brother from another mother,
1: James Shirley. And on this episode of Chef Life Radio, we're going to be talking about what it was like to come up in the industry in Chicago in the 90s, and how he went from the streets of the South Side to the shores of Hawaii. We'll talk about the demons that he had to fight along the way, and after the break you're gonna find out how you can do the same too. Doesn't matter where you're at, it only matters where you're headed. Stay tuned to find out what it really takes to succeed. This is Chef Life Radio, serving chefs just like you, who want to enjoy their careers without sacrificing their lives. I'm your host, Adam Lamb, and over my 30-year career as a chef and hospitality professional, I've coached and mentored thousands of culinarians who've led lives of contribution community, and authentic leadership. Let me be your guide on this journey together, looking for solutions and perspectives to some of the biggest issues impacting the hospitality industry, our lives, and our careers today.
0: We chef!
1: And now, back to the show. I'd like to welcome to the show, very dear friend, executive chef James Shirley. What is up, my brother? Man, it's been a journey, man. It's so good to see you. It's so good to see you, man. I'm excited to hear about your journey, you know, because we've we've stayed in touch, albeit a little bit, you know, I could own some of that and say I could have been a little bit more present and, and and reaching out, but we've managed to somehow stay connected throughout our entire careers. And so I'm just tickled to death that I get to see you and you're in the position you are, because when we first met... You didn't want to have anything to do
0: with culinary. I mean, you were just, it was a little side hustle to you, right? It was. I worked for the city of Chicago. And the, the crazy part about how I got into food is because of my passion for music, because of me being a musician. Um, I'm a professionally trained musician. I, I had music in all my life. My mother's a world-renowned jazz singer, famous jazz singer. For those of you out there who, who are hipsters and like jazz and blues, she she resides in New Orleans. And her name is Benny Shirley, and she's sang with just about everybody on the planet. And um, she resides in New Orleans, sings, in. still she's like 78 and still singing. She's still singing. She makes jewelry. She's a school teacher. But I got into cooking because I have a strong work ethic based on my family upbringing coming from the South. And, uh, I was raised by my grandparents and it was like, we don't care what you do. You gonna work. You know, we don't care what happens. You got to own your feet. And, uh, I, I remember there's, there's some people that are some baby boomers that remember the tired chores, you know, you get home, you had chores to do. So I, I got a job. I was, uh, I had went to, you know, let me back up. I went to, uh, grammar school, high school, middle school, margin band, concert band, S band, all city band drumming bugle corps, played with a lot of artists. I was really good, and uh, I still play, and uh, I had gotten into Grambling State, and if anybody's seen the movie Drumline, I was like Nick, and I had a cocky, arrogant attitude. I took, I went to Grambling, Louisiana with a, a suitcase full of clothes and, and weed and my attitude, and then I found out real quickly that I wasn't going to be welcome or tolerated with, with that, and so I was back to Chicago before I knew it, And my band director reached out for me again, and then I got into Vatican College of Music. And then I said, well, you know, who needs music school when I'm, you know, one of the top drummers in the city and I'll soon be playing with Earth, Wind & Fire or, you know, Chicago or some top band, you know. And I'm playing in nightclubs and stuff at, at a really young age, playing with my band director. So I walked into Spiaggia, 980 North Michigan. And uh, one of my classmates was the executive steward. And uh, he said, James, what are you doing here? And I said, man, looking for a job. And it's me and one of my childhood friends. And he says, well, you know, can you cook? And I said, sure, I can cook. I can make cheeseburgers and hamburgers and, you know, good. And grilled and bologna sandwiches and stuff with fish steaks, you know. Like, nah, I, that's not quite what this is in detail. And before I knew it, I was catapulted. I was shot out of a cannon into the world, uh, the underbelly of I.N. Fine Dining. It's nor- Northern Italian cuisine. And next thing I know, I'm making calamari and we're c- taking the exact out of fish to make fettuccine nere. I got some real hands-on training. And I was a walking nightmare and a disaster in the kitchen for many years. Why, why do you say that? Well... I walked in the kitchen and I got no culinary degree, no pedigree, no culinary experience. I'm around Johnston and Weld grads. I'm around CIA grads. You know, back in the day, Adam, you better Chicago, Washburn Trade School was a big place for for cooks to go, chic hospitality. And, you know, here I am, you know, this kid that I I didn't know a spoon from a colander, I didn't know a sieve from a chamois. I didn't, you know, and, and, I remember my first moment of truth was when I burned four boxes of pine nuts in a day, <laughs> and Man. and those things I remember, and they just sat and watched them, you know, because oh, yeah. I, no one told me that you know five minutes, three minutes top in an oven at three fifty, you know, it, nobody told me how much they cost, nobody said anything, and so they just watched me, kind of kind of stumble and bumble through the kitchen. And I was, the, you know, the, the kitchen joke.
1: Wait, b- wait, b- wait, before you go, I, I don't, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I just want to make a point about the fact that, you know, the type of training and mentorship that you got at Spiaja. you know, that's the way it used to be for it, in every restaurant, right? And the fact that they allowed you to burn four boxes of pine nuts and then say anything is kind of like, yeah, he's going to learn You know, now anybody tries to do that and, you know, their ass is out the street because, you know, how much that costs. And there is an expense when you have apprentices. But that
0: type of training, have you ever burned a pine nut ever since then? Yes. And I won't let anybody else burn them either. (laughs) Because I know how much it costs, you know, But, but the most valuable thing. So I give homage to. Anthony J. Montuano, who is the executive chef uh and part owner of Spiaggia, because he bought he worked for the Leavings for a long time. And, you know, he's fit all over the place. He was on the he was in the spotlight for a minute with Franchetta Breads, cause Mario Batali and, and Tony Montuano and a couple other Italian chefs were all uh, kind of sponsors of it. And it was in the heyday in Chicago when when you know, hot cuisine was was all over the place. Nouvelle cuisine was all over the place. If you had bistro, or Victoria or Italian restaurant, or any of those places, were all over the place. And he, he pulled me in the office one day and said, "Guess what?" And I just know he's going to fire me. He says, "You know, you're you're a train wreck, but you know, I love the fact you show up every day and you take the abuse off these guys." He said, "Every non-speaking dishwasher I have in my kitchen can probably outcook my." my best you know executive sewer sous chef and they can't speak a lick of english he said the fact that you show up every day and you you take crap off these guys is this another profanity show because i might drop the f-bomb i might i might drop a few slurs yeah profan- dude profanity is encouraged on this show we get the big e
1: in front of our name we don't give a shit Fuck it, okay, yeah, drop it you want to
0: as you're about dumb as a bag of rocks but the rest of those assholes in the kitchen i i I'd have you work any day, you know, uh, over them because, you know, you take a lot of crap off them of and, uh, you know, the inevitable happened. Uh, somebody called off and that happens in our world. Somebody's demise is somebody's success in our world. And so somebody screwed up, didn't make their shift. And next thing you know, I was sauteing in the cafe. He asked me, James, you want to? I'm going to throw you in a cafe. You're going to saute. I couldn't say it, let alone pronounce it or spell it at the time. I didn't know. I, I didn't have a clue what sauteing me. So before I knew it, I was making, you know, more carpaccio plates and pasticio and bongalays and osupuco and bucatini amatricianas. And my vernacular had changed. And I, and I you know, I had I always had language in school. And, I think led to another man, and uh, before I knew it, I was uh, I was aroused it. I was the first to not. I was working for the Levy's at several properties, and uh, I got good at it, you know. And uh, and I and I had to deal with the other the other pink elephant in the room. You know, I'm the only black guy in the kitchen in, in a five star uh, restaurant. You know, uh, with no pedigree. You know, and, and that and that that existed then, and it still kind of exists now to some degree. You know, I'm I'm really ecstatic when I go on LinkedIn and I and I see a vast array of people of color at the level of executive chefs and beyond that who have broken those glass ceilings and and got past the stereotypical male European dominated industry of I'm French, I'm Austrian, I'm German, I'm Italian, I'm from some foreign, I'm from somewhere in Europe, and now I'm an executive chef, and you're supposed to bow down to me, you know. So uh, we we, we broken those, those stereotypes, man. And, and I always, you know, I'm humbled and grateful at, at where the universe has, has sent me and where, where the God of my own understanding has placed me in, in doing what I do. And so I always reach back. I don't look down on people. Um, if I'm, if, I'm re- if I'm, looking down, I'm looking down to reach up, to reach my hand out, to pick you up, you know, because I've seen it happen. You know, I've had a woman sous chef, uh, and she was, she was a killer. She was a beast, man. As African-American sister who I made my sous chef and couldn't nobody understand why did I do that is because she care, you know, at the end of the day, you care about the product you put out, what you do, how you do it. I don't care where you come from, what walk of life, what pedigree, you know, uh, I'd rather have somebody that shows up to work on time and a clean apron, in a coat and uniform, and they, they could be the worst thing under the sun, culinary-wise, in the kitchen, but it's the attitude. And Tony told me, he said, you got the heart of a lion. He said, one day you'll be good at this. And, and I didn't take it seriously. And uh, I worked for the city of Chicago for a lot of years, and I cooked it, and, and I called myself Moonlighting. Until I ran up on this cat named Lamb, who said, man, you're, t- you're good at this. You <laughs> You know, I ran up on this guy with a mullet and a long ponytail and gun goatee and real hip, you know, the swashbuckler in the kitchen, you know, and said, man, you ought to be, you ought to take this serious. You know, Shirley dog, you're good at this. And so here I am. That was my very first exec, uh,
1: uh sous chef job. You know, true one, you know, in an operation that's, yeah, that was in an operation that's doing, you know, they said they expected to do $2.8 million the first year. I think they did like 18. I mean, we were doing, we were doing dishes in the parking lot. The goddamn place was so busy. Of course, that was 1986. They Bears had just won the Super Bowl and Bob's your uncle. So here you are, you're still working for the city of Chicago. You know, it's funny because you said I, I always thought that you, were moonlighting because, you know, you had that expensive habit, that car of yours. Yeah. It was beautiful, man. Beautiful. It was beautiful. Okay.
0: Every brother's got to have a whip, a ride, man. And uh, I, I, I had this Delta 88 Royale Broham that my grandfather took me to Hanley Dawson Cadillac to buy. And anybody that's from Chicago that can go back in their time machine, they'll remember Hanley Dawson Cadillac. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of predating myself, too, as well. So. But it was, all, you know, Hanley Dawson Cadillac was down the street from Dickens because it was uh, uh, around the corner on LaSalle, I believe, either on Ohio or for of LaSalle or something like that. And they were next to Ma- Maury Major's sporting goods and stuff like that. So I got this car and, you know, I had went through my first car and, um, you know, I was like, OK, I, I got a real automobile. You know, and it was tricked out with tinted windows and opera lights and you know, uh had the uh Jensen speakers and Alpine amp.
1: the wheels and the tires and everything
0: like L L what you say cost that with the booming system, baby. You know, uh and uh and it was cool. It was cool, man. I, I had a lot of other uh, strange appetites, too, then that I was just all over the place, man, being young and crazy, you know. You're not saying that
1: the reason that you decided that you were going to go into this full time is because of a conversation you and I had.
0: It's funny how you have conversations with people and they impact your life. And then later on, it's like an old song. Mama always said in days like this, you know, and, and you hear that that voice somewhere, you know, you planted a seed, Adam. And thank God for that. You know, you planted a seed but the inevitable happened. I got good, you know, and I got really good at what I was doing. I just, I was, I didn't know I was good at it and I didn't know it was meant for me to do it because I couldn't find my way. You know, I had worked through some of the finest restaurants and and it's funny that people talk about, you know, Grant Atchison and Charlie Trotter and, you know, and all these other chefs that are out there, the Michael Cornings and stuff. And I remember working at Gordon's when they were coming through the door. And so I worked at this famous uh, restaurant owned by this famous uh, restaurant named Gordon Sinclair. He had a place in uh, called Ju- in Jupiter, Florida, I believe. But he also had the knack of finding talent. So he found Charlie Trotter. He found Grant Atches, he found, uh, I think he was affiliated with Norman Van Aken. He's, he's, he's had this whole line and cast of great chefs that have come through the windy city in the Midwest that he went out and, you know, he, he recruited or, or he, you know, he, he had hired, he had a bigger, bigger doubt. It's like, it's like the professionals athletes, you know, he had a bigger paycheck to a bigger offer on the table. And, uh, I got a chance to work around these guys, and so everywhere you were back then, if you could master the broiler station, you could walk in any restaurant and get a job as a broiler cook. And if you, you know, if, if you had a reputation on the Magnificent Mile and the Gold Coast, you know, Adam, it was like somebody can hire that guy. You know, he's he's working a broiler at the Pump Room, or he's working a broiler at uh, uh, Hugo's Outmart, oh, yeah, or or Larry's Prime how, Prime Rib. He's working. Uh, um, you know Morton Steakhouse, he's the broiler guy over there. That's what gonna get. And these owners knew that these guys were good because they kept their money coming in and they weren't gonna lose them. So, you know, that back then you could get paid what you were worth in a sense, almost. You know, you had owners that was willing to pay that.
1: So, uh, before you get any further, you mentioned uh, that your family was originally from the South. Where, where did your, where, where do your people hail
0: from? Well, Jackson, Mississippi. And uh, throughout the South, I've got family in Jackson. I've got family in uh, Alabama and New Orleans. And right now, um, my, my, my grandparents migrated from the South right around the time this individual named Emmett Till was lynched. And in the South, uh, lynching was prevalent. And my grandparents got out. Because my uncle was prominent, educated, good looking, and they didn't want him to be a statistic. They didn't want him to be uh, another one of our, you know, uh, George Floyd type situations that that went on back then. And so they came north and they did what most black families do when they leave the South. They migrate to metropolis areas and big cities and they get these jobs, factory jobs industrial jobs. And my grandmother was a seamstress and then she had lost her sight and regained her sight. And my grandfather, they were both uneducated and they raised five generations of us, you know, of kids, you know, who, who are doing really well. And my grandfather worked at Reynolds foil company that make Reynolds aluminum foil. And his family had property on the South side. And they live in a and lived in the Bronzeville area, and uh, which is really up and booming and, and popular now in, in Chicago. Uh, property was up, and you know they're doing well in Bronzeville. And uh, I was just taught that you know there was never a day that we went without food. There was never a day that we went without lights. Never a day we went with without gas. There was nothing that they would not do for me. You know, my early years, I did not have a a working, functioning relationship with my mom. You know, I I grew up kind of confused, a little bit angry and frustrated, you know, uh, because all my friends had younger parents and I was raised by these older people. And kids are cruel because they tell you the truth. They say exactly what they see, not what they know. And all the time, they say, you're fat, you're black, you're white, you're ugly, you're skinny, you're buck team, you're bald, you know, your mom is big, you know, you're poor, you know, they, they say things like that to each other. And we don't know the impact it has on us growing up into our adult lives, the things that were said to us and how they, how they made us feel and what eventually became of us. Because in the back of our psyche, uh, in the back of my mind, I had to fight fight those demons off or hearing that. I have a beautiful relationship with my mother now. But uh, my grandparents came of North, and that's what happened. Was it because Betty was so involved in her career that she wasn't around much? My mother wasn't able to raise kids, you know. My mother was not fit to be a mother at that time, you know. And she she openly admits that, and she she talks about being grateful that my grandmother uh raised her kids, you know, because my mother is a product of the sixties, the seventies, the well post the, the 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 Vietnam era, uh free love and, and free speech and hippies and, and and uh you know you know drugs has always been around for years. It just has had different generational aspects. And during the sixties, you know, people were experimenting and and my mom was she sang in New York for a while. And it, you know, before she got her act together, because she had to go through some stuff too. But I'm very proud of my mom. I'm, my mom is my hero today, you know, because because of what she went through, it made me stronger. You know, I didn't know some things. I didn't know the truth about why my mother wasn't present until I became older. And, uh, you know, I, I got into involved in a 12-step program that helped me do some research and and find out some things about why I did what I did and what made me do what I do and and uh that that helped me to give my life back, you know. I think recovery is called recovery for a reason because it helps people regain some things and, and get their life back. So my mom is great, you know. She she she's my hero, you know, and uh my grandparents, God bless them, you know. Adam when my grandfather has started getting ill i was at dickers and i remember you know the the whole team at dickers was like you take as long as you need to take care of your grandfather i i'll never get getting that call when he first had his first stroke and uh he was where he was on his way he was at work you know and he was seventy-something years old still riding public transportation riding the l going to springfield pumping station you know getting off on uh i think uh Grand or either North Avenue, you know, and uh, going up to Springfield Bumper Station, you know, and uh, I took care of him, you know, I took care of him until the day died, you know. You he, he just, you just put out
1: so much, man. And I, and I just want to uh, step back a little bit because you you made some, like James, when you get on a roll, man, you throw out stuff that, you know, but would leave most people like slack jawed, like, like what, what are you, what are you talking about? So I want to kind of revisit this whole point about being good to your life. And so there's, there's no secret that, you know, our past has been intertwined for, for both good and bad reasons. And we followed each other's story. And, you know, the fact is, is that we both had some rough times and we came through it and it made us stronger. And I think made us both probably more empathetic to others that might be challenged the same way. I know that you're still heavily involved in the recovery kind of network and you make yourself available and you want to make sure that you stand for those people. And that's not an attitude that's usually shared, especially in the hospitality industry, it's changing now, thankfully, but, um, you know, now that that doors open up a Creek, I want to kick that motherfucker down because there's lots of stuff that I would have changed had I had the power back then. But I also know a bunch of guys, uh, men and women who in this industry who loved bitch, you know, and they would be the first one to talk about why things suck and why th- place sucks and why the customers suck and why the bosses suck. And da da da, da, da 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 I see it all the time on Facebook. And my deep desire is that they have their own awakening and realize that they're the only ones that have the power to change anything. So when you talk about stuff like being good to your life, I need to know exactly like in concrete terms, what that looks like, because I know how everything's energetically connected. You know, you, you, you're, you're preaching to the choir right now, but there's a bunch of people out there who probably need this message more than. Uh, anything else in their life right now, because, you know, either you're going to be a victim or you're going to be a leader. And I, I believe there's greatness in, in everybody that's in this industry and, uh, or the capacity. They have greatness about something, some particular thing. And I want to encourage them to get in and get their fucking
0: work done. So what do you mean by being good to your life? What I mean by that is, first of all, you know, acceptance is the key for anything. And, and you got to be able to accept where you're at. And I mean, you touched on a lot of, a a lot of things because we live in a world that's kind of a, a pseudo masochistic relationship. We, we, we go through a lot of abuse from our employer, from our customers, from our families, from everybody else to not only put bread on the table, but to do what we do well and show up every day. It's like, Leaving the dungeon and showing up again for the next day—you just got to know what the safe word is to get out. You know, and and, and I always I always use the analogy: be, be, being in the culinary world is like a like a pseudo masochistic relationship. You just got to know when to say ouch or when to get out, because if you don't, you'll burn. You know, you just you'll you'll implode, you'll self destruct. I mean, now we're reading and hearing about some of our world's most admired. Culinary people ending their lives or lives coming to an end or or falling. The fall from grace is very painful and very long. And if you don't have humility as a key, then the fall will be even worse. You know, I live every day with the mantra in my head that I'm as only good as my last meal. I don't care who I fed, how well it went, I saw my resume and my pedigree. If I fucked up a barbecue with hot dogs for five kids, then I got to live with that because I'm as only good as my last meal. And, and, And that could be the catalyst that a GM or an executive or somebody come raining down fire on us. That'll turn our whole world upside down. And I'll walk off without humility with saying, what ain't no big deal? It's just some kids. It was hot dogs. Why are you tripping? You know, why are you having a fit about it? But it was the CEO's kid that was there. It was the president's kid, somebody else's kid. And then I'm saying in my head, why is this guy talking to me? Doesn't he know who I am? You know, the question is, is do I know who I am? You know, and, and that we suffer with a lot of frailties and things that happen for us. And that the number one thing that eludes us in our industry is balance. And that I have to at some point know when to tap out, you know, after ten to twelve hours, knowing that it'll be there tomorrow. I have watched too many of us burn up and crash because success is driving us. And I refuse to be behind the deadline because I didn't have the menu written. I didn't have the, the menu costed out in time. I didn't I didn't have people, you know, and and credit, you got good bosses, and then you've got bosses who are not good. And when you got people that you can't say, hey, I didn't get it done today. I'm sorry. I'll get it done tomorrow. And you can explain to that why it didn't happen. You know, time management, I, I started off. we started off talking about time management and talking about how I, my wife has poor time management and um, it, 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 it impedes it. <laughs> I wasn't going to bring that up. I was going to edit that out. man. Okay, but hey, <laughs> I was gonna edit that out, That's you know. Okay. Going to include- it's too late. That's <laughs> out the bang. Hey. It's no news to it is it, it's, it's no secret. It's no news to her. <laughs> she's my muse. You know, let me let me say this. You know, yeah, this is my second marriage, and to take my wife through what I'm taking her through, I mean she's worth her weight in gold. Because being married to somebody like us or even in a relationship with somebody like us. You got to examine their psyche and ask them because they got to know what they're signing up for. They got to know that I'll say I'll be back and I may not come back until tomorrow. They got to understand, you know, when I say I promised we were going out, hey, I'm sorry, you know, party, VIP pop up, I got to do it and we go later. You know, um, we, we, we live with a lot of broken promises. And at some point, we have to learn how to balance that, to make good on that in our, in, our, in, our, in our lives. That's what I talk about. You know, my life isn't good. I'm good to my life. I've started to do a lot of different things. Like, like for instance, uh, we don't want to talk about getting therapy. You know, we think that's, we think that's uh, taboo for chefs to talk about having a therapist, getting some mental health. Mental health dominates our industry. Because we're these brilliant servants with uh, food and, and gastronomy engineers and we're these culinarians and we're these epicureans and we're these brilliant food minds and they don't know what goes on behind that. You know, it's like being a Robin Williams of, of a Scott, being a part Robin Williams and part of Scoffier. You know what I'm saying? It's like nobody knows what goes on mind of a genius when they have to show up and perform every day, you know, and, and the pressure behind that, you know, um, nobody knows what happens with us when, I mean, how many chefs that you know that have had one marriage, you know, or that are still married, you know, how many chefs that you know that are willing to admit that they weren't there for the, the kids' graduation, the kids' prom, the kids' this, 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 because they were at work and some sign-in dinner with something else going on. How many chefs you know that's going to admit they got a drinking problem? They got got an addiction. They got a substance abuse problem because, or if it's not that, they got some other dark secret because after leaving work, you got to find an avenue to feed this monster that's going up, raging on the inside because you kept your cool all day. You didn't punch anybody out. You didn't cuss out your boss. You know, you didn't kick, you didn't have a a Gordon Ramsay moment and and insult people and shove. I remember chefs would come in and just shove your fucking mise en place off the counter or on the floor, not just because you screwed up, but because we're having a bad day and they had to have some kind of way to take it out on someone. So let me take it out on my kitchen.
1: So you bring up really great points again, but here's here's the piece that's missing. And you start off by talking about, you know, it's not necessarily, it's frowned upon to talk about the fact that, you, you know, you might, uh, you might need some help with the way you're processing things. The fact of the matter is when you're creative and I, and we can be creative in lots of different ways, you know, we can be creative in planning the execution of a banquet, not necessarily the food, but how you get all the components put together. I mean, sometimes all the pieces are moving around in your head and you can't even explain to anybody how you come to this point, but you just know it's right. And I I just want to remind everybody, because I think we forget about this because we get so caught up in the bullshit, is that we're all very, 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 very fucking sensitive people in a world that doesn't really fucking appreciate sensitive people. So what the fuck are you supposed to do with that? Well, the first thing is acknowledge the fact that you're sensitive. Nothing wrong with that. Doesn't make you any less than or more than. Doesn't make you any more artistic or less artistic. But if you're not, like in your truth about who you are. So that's one of the things I love about you, James, so much is like, there is no fucking pretense about, you know, you own every single fucking bit of you. You know, you own your work ethic. You own the circumstances that you find yourself in. You don't ever, I've never heard you throw anybody under the fucking bus other than to say, you know, that dude's an asshole. Right? But you never made it up that, you know, they were keeping you for any em, anything else. So the fact is that once I acknowledge the fact that I was, you know, sensitive, which is weird because I'm a big dude and people don't expect that to be coming out. But at least it gave me uh, a way to access a healing that before was, you know, I couldn't show any weakness or tenderness or compassion or vulnerability or transparency to anybody, especially in the brigade. Fuck that, man, because I need you to jump. What? How high? We chef. Okay, now let's go. When in fact, it took me probably... Uh, shit, man. Probably, uh, probably 15, 18 years before I recognized that, that I hire and manage whole human beings, not just a fucking name on a schedule. And the, and the quicker I get hit to that so that I can be with them where they're at, the better the whole organization runs. But, you know, I had to take, <laughs> I had to take away this dude's pride. Once in the office, I, fuck, man, it makes me so fucking, to talk about this, but you know, his happy go lucky dude. And you know, he just, everywhere he went, you know, things were, things were on fire around him. You know, it just, he found himself in the worst situations. And I brought him into the office and just tore him down verbally, man. And he dropped to his knees and started screaming out. And I thought to myself, holy fuck, what have I done? Because I know, you know, You talk about people like Storm and Norman and some other people that we've known. You take away a person's dignity, then they're capable of doing anything, man. And it wasn't that I was scared of my my safety, but I just saw just how fucking wrong I was for a lot of years to a lot of people. And there's nothing I can ever do to take that back or make it better. But I can certainly try to do something with that acknowledgement and that realization, which is... Uh, you know, carve out a path forward with a new way of thinking and a new way of being in this industry that's possible for all of us. Because I think probably you included, and you, you can agree with me or not everything. It's how It's how we all wanted to be treated. You know, none of us wanted to be treated like shit and have the fucking chef come off, fucking dump our me's on the fucking floor because he's having a bad day. Fuck that shit.
0: I gotta tell you, Adam, what you're doing and what you've done with this, if nobody's told you, From our community, I want to thank you because you open up some boundaries and some doors, man, for us to get nitty gritty and talk about exact nature, what really goes on about what what really happens. You know, I don't know if you're aware of what you've done and and, and how you've done this, you know, to what capacity, you know, how you've impacted us, man. You know, you've given us a vehicle that we wouldn't normally have in a real world setting to talk about, and this is this isn't a, this isn't the trash the organization show. This isn't the trash the employer show. This isn't the trash the the cook show? This is a, a a vehicle for us to tell our side of the story like it really is, you know. And t- like we like you say, tell it like it is, you know. You know, I love you, man. Uh, We've been through so many things together, man. You you've always been. My brother from another mother, man, you know, we've always uh you've always been here. Uh, I've been so proud to watch you evolve as well, to go through what you're going through, man, and what you've been through. Uh and, and how you know, you're 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 like the raft in a fume. You know, you always rise to the top. You know? You're you're like that raft in a fume, you know, you you rise, you rise to the top, you know, you're like you're like Letting that slow roll go and you just skim off the top, man. And each, each time you skim off a lo- another layer of the top, like a fumet, it gets more pristine. You could see to the bottom on, you know, we always, we, those of us who've had that, you know, pedigree, that, that, that level, that level of technique. We've learned that a good fumet is that you could see. Yeah, who, who know how to make it. You, you, could, you could look through, it. you could look all the way down to the bottom. It's pristine, it's clear, but all the flavor is there, man. And that's what you've done, you know? And, and it's like, for us to be still connected after so many people that have fallen off the face of the earth that we've known together, that have disappeared, that have vanished. I mean, we've known people who crashed and burned. You know, I, I got to give homage to those who paved the way before me, you know, you know that have, have struggled internally and and not been able to get the help or say anything. You know, uh like a Anthony Bourdain, you know, mm-hmm. you know, like a Charlie Trotter, you know, that, you know, there's people who are out there that are not the Anthony Bourdain and Charlie Trotters who are just as good and who are behind the scenes. And they don't get the recognition. They don't I mean nobody would know that I've fed Colin Powell at, and 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 Gorbachev and Bush and you you know and 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 Christine Lagarde of the International Monetary Fund and you know all, I mean we could tout off all, all these people but but nobody could nobody in a million years would know that you know and something I started doing is that I would always wear my chef coat to work you know and back and forth because I just walk in the door ready to go and my wife said to me. Why, why, why do you not just want to be a human being when you get off of work? Why is it that you're a chef 27? I don't, you know, and she helped me with this. So I got like pullover sweats and, you know, you know, I got some long sleeve tees that I wear to work. And I changed my, I get, I get into that. You know, I got to remember when I'm at home and my wife's cooking me a meal, I'm not the chef. I'm her husband. You know, Um, if my kids want to take me to dinner, I'm not the chef. You know, I try my best and, you know, just sit in the seat and be patient with the poor service, the cold mashed potatoes or whatever happens. You know, I'm not going to let anything happen on my watch either. If I'm out with my, my family and friends and the service and the food is not right. I mean, we're the worst people to dine with, the worst people to go out to dinner with, you know, because we're picking everything apart, man. But um, back back to how much I love you, Adam Lamb, and how proud I am of you, man. You know, I I, I told a few people about this, and, and I got to give shouts out to my 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 senior management team. It's been a long time coming since I worked not only in a place that anybody would love to work at. But to work around and work with people, I love going to work with every day, man. I could truly say my, my boss is my work sister, work wife. You know, um, my, my district manager is my work big brother, my confidant, my friend. You know, I have a supporting management team around me. You know, the organization that I work for, I've been working for for a long time. They have been great. And not all organizations get it right. I mean, hey, they make some bad decisions along the way too, you know. And it impacts people at every level, you know. Um, but they've done right by me, you know, and they've done well, you know. And uh, you know, I'm I'm I've been blessed, man. This whole journey, you know, I, I've been blessed. I thought I was gonna try to get through this without crying because I'm a crybaby and I'm, I'm I'm real sensitive, you know. But um, you know, seriously, man, I, I when I look at, I, I'm sitting here and on that side of me is Diamond in, you know, and on this side of me is the ocean. And I grew up riding the L to work. Uh, when I, when this all started, I was riding the Mean Green Limousine. I was riding CTA. The 111th in Cottage Grove. Yep. Yep. Over there on King Drive.
1: I thank you, man. Um, and you know, you've, you made, um, my point for me really, because, um, I've had this ongoing argument with, um, uh, somebody I love very dearly about, you know, when you're a chef, that's, that's who you are. And my shot back is always like, that's bullshit. You know, as, as long as you identify with being a chef, like as who I am, um, then you're, uh, liable to put yourself in situations that are not healthy both mentally physically or emotionally and so i would tag on with what you said james and so maybe a shift in perspective is identifying yourself as a human being that has needs and and desires and maybe sometimes just want to go get a fucking pedicure man i love pedicures man this is fantastic (laughs) that's it for this episode of chef life radio If you enjoyed it, it made you think, laugh, or get pissed off, then please, tell a friend. Get your free copy of Three Ideas for Less Chef Stress by signing up for our monthly newsletter at chefliferadio.com forward slash sign up. Here at Chef Life Radio, we believe that working in a kitchen should be demanding. It just shouldn't have to be demeaning. It should be hard. It just doesn't have to be harsh. We believe that it's possible to have more solidarity and less suck-it-up sunshine, more compassion, less cutthroat island, we believe in more partnership and less put up or shut up, more community and a lot less fuck you. Finally, consider for a second, for all the blood, sweat and sometimes even tears we put into what we do, really, at the end of the day, that's just some brown stuff on a plate. None of it really matters. It doesn't define you as a person or make you any more special or less than anyone else. It's just a dance we're engaged in, so we might as well laugh and enjoy every bit of it even the crappy parts while we're doing it. Or didn't you know that the purpose of your life should be to enjoy it?
0: Like it, happy I love it. I am humble. God damn, glory Fox, I don't live on
1: now. <laughs> Follow us at Facebook.com, Chef Life Radio, Twitter, at Chef Life Radio, on Instagram, at Chef Life Radio, and check out our website, ChefLifeRadio.com. Oh, yes, Chef. Stand tall and frosty, brothers and sisters, until next time, be well, and do good. Leave the light on, honey. I'm coming home late. This show was produced, recorded, and edited by me, Adam Lamb, at the Dish Pit Studios in Bardo, North Carolina. This has been a production of Realignment Media.